Welcome back for episode 38 in our study of the book of Revelation. This episode is called The Merchants of the Earth Shall Mourn. I'm Sam Bracken, your host. Our teacher is Dr. Breck England, who's teaching us about the book of Revelation by relating it to the Latter-day Saint Temple experience. In our last episode, we watched seven angels pour seven bowls of plagues on Babylon, which represents the wicked world. In this episode, we will see the fall of Babylon the Great. At this point, uh, Babylon is a symbol because in John's day, Babylon was just a ruin, a small town. It was nothing like it had been. There was, of course, a city called Babylon in ancient times that was, you know, very splendid and very powerful. But uh, by by his time, it was it was nothing. And now, today, it's just a ruin in the desert of Iraq. So when John's talking about Babylon, he's obviously not talking about the actual city. What what the prophets call Babylon today, our prophets in the church use that term quite a lot. They talk about Babylon as a metaphor for the evil powers that harass and afflict us in the world we live in. So in John's time, interestingly enough, he compares Jerusalem to Babylon because the powers that be in Jerusalem had essentially adopted the values of a Babylon. In in the book of Revelation, John compares Jerusalem to Babylon, and and he also uh, says it's as corrupt as Sodom was. And as Egypt was. So what was supposed to be the holy city had uh, broken the terms of the ketubah that God had made with Israel. Do you remember what a ketubah is? Yeah, a ketubah is a marriage agreement, a covenant between bride and groom. Right. Now in Exodus, God made a covenant of marriage with the house of Israel. That he would be like a faithful husband to them and to provide for them and redeem them if they would be faithful to him. But Jerusalem uh, defiled that covenant in many, many ways. So the once holy city is now Babylon. How did Jerusalem become Babylon? In what ways did they break the covenant? What John called this, quote, great city of Jerusalem had um, over the centuries, of course, had, had killed the prophets. In his own day, had crucified the Savior. Uh, Jesus himself spoke to the rulers of Jerusalem, and he said, quote, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth. That's from uh, uh, John chapter 8, verse 44. The rulers of Jerusalem were... Um, conceited hypocrites. They spurned the poor and the hungry, and as their punishment, they will go away into everlasting punishment. That's the words of Jesus in Matthew 25. So uh, having violated the ketubah, which is the covenant between God and Israel, that brings very grim consequences. Uh, It's the same as committing adultery. And under the Mosaic law, the penalty for adultery was death. But this was an old story with Jerusalem. The Israelites uh, repeatedly violated the ketubah over the centuries. In the 7th century BC, Jeremiah condemned Israel for committing adultery by worshiping foreign gods. Right? He said, uh, quote, Hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? She has gone up upon every high mountain and under every green tree. 
and there hath played the harlot. That's in Jeremiah 3, verse 6. So when Jerusalem shows this gross disloyalty, the bridegroom, who's the Savior, right, withdraws his ketubah, his agreement, with his marriage agreement. The Lord told the prophet Hosea that uh, Jerusalem, uh, quote, is not my wife, neither am I her husband. So without the protection of the ketubah, the wife loses her shelter and her sustenance. The Lord warned her, quote, from Psalms of Isaiah 2, I will strip her naked, make her as a wilderness, and set her like a dry land, and slay her with thirst. That's Hosea. And Jeremiah warned the city in these words, quote, Though thou clothest thyself with crimson, now remember that word crimson, mm-hmm. though thou deckest thee with ornaments of gold, okay, remember all covered with, uh, you know, all dressed in beautiful red clothing, covered with gold. Though thou rentest thy face with painting, in other words, lots of makeup, in vain shalt thou make thyself fair. Thy lovers will despise thee, and they will seek thy life. So uh, Jeremiah is comparing Jerusalem to a prostitute. That time, the time of Jeremiah, which is hundreds of years before John. Babylon was demanding tribute from Jerusalem, but the king at the time is Zedekiah. He decided to stop paying the blackmail money, and uh, because because she didn't put out enough, Jerusalem got whacked. Nebuchadnezzar um, of Babylon descended on her and took it all, took everything, and that was in 587 B.C. Well, centuries later now, in John's time, the whole sad story just repeats itself. Although she was rebuilt, Jerusalem has gone wild again and turned herself back into the scarlet harlot, I put it. Okay. She's become Babylon, and during John's lifetime, the same judgment fell again on Jerusalem. And Rome, Romans destroyed the city of Jerusalem in 70 CE. The emperor Titus burned the city and killed thousands and sold 97,000 Jews into slavery. And this destruction reminds me of uh, what it says in the Book of Mormon, that it is by the wicked that the wicked are punished. So it makes sense that this, the image or the symbol of this Babylon slash Jerusalem is a scarlet woman riding on a beast with ten horns. Uh, could you read for us Revelation chapter 17, verse 16? Yeah, we we were introduced to this um, to this woman last time. Yes, yeah. the ten horns which thou saw upon the beast; these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. Ooh, so that's pretty intense, right? So John is describing uh, what happened to Jerusalem during his lifetime. Mm. Whether he witnessed this or not, I don't know. He may have been elsewhere, but the Babylon slash Jerusalem that he knew very well fell in a very brutal fashion. And the firestorm that destroyed Jerusalem was a very fitting metaphor for the judgment that would come on the world in the last days. So could you read um, Revelation 18, verses 2 and 3? Babylon the great has fallen, for all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. So um, the city of Jerusalem 
Babylon, becomes a symbol for the wickedness of the whole world. That's interesting. Some people are really sad to see the fall of Babylon. Who would be sad to see the end of Babylon? You'd think everyone would be happy to see it go. Well, it's interesting. There are two kinds of people who are unhappy at the fall of Babylon. Corrupt politicians and businessmen. So let's read uh, Revelation 18, verses 9 through 11. The kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off from the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come, and the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise any more. So they're sad because people aren't buying their stuff. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. So I'm sorry. Yeah. Merchants are mourning because Babylon is um, the hub of a great network of trade in the treasures of the earth, right? It's the center of the treasures of the earth. Mm-hmm. And in the end, their, their inventories get all burned up and um, markets collapse. The whole economy has to be rebuilt but on an entirely different footing. What do you do if you've devoted your whole life to getting rich and suddenly money means nothing? Right. All of a sudden, nobody's buying or selling anything. And uh, can you imagine a world like that? Yeah, so no one's buying their merchandise anymore. Right. Yeah, that would be scary. Or, I mean, yeah. so, it'd be different, I mean. Yeah, so, so what do you do now that your whole purpose for living is gone? No wonder the merchants of the earth weep and mourn at the smoke of her burning. So, well, today we say that money is neutral. There's nothing bad about having money. It's how you use it. In John's time, riches were not uh, morally neutral. The cultural criteria of that day had the word poor referred to the socially impotent, while the label rich or wealthy attached to greedy people, avaricious people. The idea in that day, and it was probably very much a reality, the wealthy exploited the poor by, um, by cheating. According to um, Christopher R. Smith, who is a well-known um, New Testament scholar, he says, economic crimes are the central focus of chapter 18. Economic crimes. A bag of deceitful weights. Remember, they used to use weights on mm-hmm. scales to determine what you were buying. If you, mm-hmm. If you, uh, if you wanted to buy a bushel of wheat, they'd put it on a scale and then put weights on the scale to determine how much you were buying. Well, they simply used deceitful weights. So they, they were cheating right and left. The bag of deceitful weights would symbolize dishonest measures, right, to defraud the public. And long before John, the prophet Micah denounced, quote, the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is abominable, meaning they weren't giving full value for what they were being paid. The scant measure. They were scanting what, what they were selling. Remember back in chapter 6 when we saw the four horsemen, and one of them was carrying a scale? Mm-hmm. Now, the, the, the horseman with the scales represents economic crime. Mm. Okay? The rich were brutal to the poor. 
in those days. Wealthy lenders were everywhere. They enslaved people. And, and they used insolvent people for immoral purposes. If you owed money to a money lender you couldn't pay, he would say, well, let me have your daughter for a night. You know? Good grief. That was, yeah, that was the terrible. sort of thing they yeah. did. Um, and we know that from um, the book of Amos. So they were just brutal. There was a very strong social hierarchy. And the upper class simply defrauded and abused the lower classes. In John's time, another writer than John, um, he described slaves in the street. He said that it, so their skin was seamed all over with the marks of old floggings, ragged shirts, letters branded on their faces, foreheads actually, and half-shaved heads and irons on their legs that they'd have to drag all their lives. And thing, th things have changed in our day, I hope, but things had not changed in John's time since the days of the old prophets when in Jerusalem. This is what Micah the prophet says, rich men are full of violence. It's an interesting statement. You know, what's interesting is that meanwhile, the same thing was going on in the Book of Mormon land during John's lifetime. Third Nephi talks about people who were, quote, lifted up unto pride and boastings because of their exceedingly great riches. Yea, even unto great persecutions, for there were many merchants in the land and also many lawyers. <laughs> it's just fun. So on both sides of the water, the merchants are having a field day. Right, just before the big destruction falls on them. It sounds like our own time. Well, yeah. You know, I was reading what former, the former director of the FBI, a man named Robert Mueller, he gave a speech some years ago in which he talked about the iron triangle of organized crime. And what he meant by that, the iron triangle is um, government officials coupled with business leaders who pose... And he says, quote, a significant national security threat. Now, what's an iron triangle? It's corrupt business interests coupled with corrupt politicians, right? Coupled with corrupt uh, customers, right? So mm. it's an iron triangle. Mm. Uh, and they commit colossal economic crimes in our own time. I mean, it's colossal what they do. This is what Mueller said, quote, they are flat, fluid networks with global reach, more anonymous and more sophisticated than old-style crime organizations. So this is much, much bigger than the, the mafia is small potatoes compared to what is going on mm -hmm. today. Uh, he says their scope of operations is broad, from the arms trade to drug trafficking to high-stakes fraud and global prostitution. There's a lot of big, big nasty corruption going on behind the scenes. So we look around, we see crime has become global in scope. Corruption is open. Audacious frauds are publicly cheered. I don't want to name names, but I see monumental liars being publicly cheered. Okay. Um, the most brazen lies are wildly applauded by people. Um, and honesty is mocked as a weakness. It is, it is. I agree with that. Think of uh, one very prominent individual who has just been essentially shouted down because he was honest. We know that powerful people will use power for their own gain, and they don't even try to hide it anymore. That's the, that's the that's interest. That's the crazy thing, yeah. You know, um, the FBI says that members of these iron triangles are drowning in illicit funds 
pilfered loot, and blood-soaked finances. That's pretty strong language. So uh, it takes us back again to third Nephi, right? Mm -hmm. Quote, the people began to be distinguished by ranks according to their riches and their chances for learning. Yea, some were ignorant because of their poverty, while others did receive great learning because of their riches, and there became a great inequality in the land. And that, according to Third Nephi, is the basic problem in their society. Well, do you think that sounds familiar? It does. So broadening inequality led to a civil breakdown in the Book of Mormon. That's the regulation. Quote, Third uh, Nephi 7, 6. The regulations of the government were destroyed. So once you see the government being deregulated to the point where nobody's uh, enforcing the law anymore, you yeah. see there was a great contention in the land. Do you, do you think we're having a great contention in the land today? I, I would say yes, we're having a great contention. Okay, so this sets the scene okay, for the great judgment that is going to fall. Now, the great judgment fell on the cities in the Book of Mormon, didn't it? All of a sudden, yeah. All of a sudden, in a matter of hours, the entire civilization was overthrown. Mm -hmm. Catastrophic earthquake, right? Volcanic eruptions, etc. <laughs> okay. <Yeah>. In that <laughs> on event, and on. Yeah. in that event, we see we see a type of the fall of Babylon, right? Mm -hmm. As John must have seen in the ruins of Jerusalem in his own time. I mean, that city was taken down in a matter of Quickly, hours, yeah. just in a matter of hours. Is that a warning to us? Are we in for the same kind of judgment? Well, when I read the Book of Mormon, when I read what happened to the Nephites, and I realized that the Book of Mormon was written as a warning for us today, we probably ought to take third Nephi a little more seriously. Mm -hmm. I think John foresaw that kind of judgment for the civilization of the latter days, for our civilization. Um, John, in Revelation, he's telling us that God's justice is going to catch up with us if we don't change our ways. What, uh, what, what kind of ways should we change? Well, the Babylonians and the Nephites and the Jerusalemites had the same kind of wickedness going on. The same, it was the same pattern. It was all about injustice and inequity and cheating and an economic system that, that oppressed some people and made other people unbelievably wealthy. Some people have a lot. Most people are left struggling. I mean, even the middle class in this country, for example, is yeah. just struggling to stay afloat. Yeah, it's becoming smaller. The middle yeah. class is becoming smaller. So as the gap between the rich and the poor grows, well, we ought to think about that. One of our general authorities spoke in conference recently. He said, this is Elder Dale G. Renland. He says this, quote, we will be judged by how we treat the vulnerable and the disadvantaged. Our task is to approach others with compassion and try to alleviate unfairness where we find it. That's uh, an apostle speaking. Mm -hmm. So my conclusion is that if that's how we're going to be judged, maybe we ought to get serious about that. Otherwise, we may fall with Babylon. Don't we have to do business with Babylon in order to survive? We have to live in a real world. Well, absolutely. But honest, honest business, no problem. Right. Right. And there are plenty of honest business people. But the Lord unquestionably condemns people who do business the way Babylon does. Right. Like Ezekiel said, 
quote, by thy traffic, meaning their, thy business, hast thou increased thy riches. Therefore, as a result, he says, I will bring strangers upon thee, the terrible of the nations. They shall bring thee down to the pit. That's um, Ezekiel 28. Now, what he's saying is that ruinous war will overtake the exploiters. Quote from Jeremiah, Woe unto him that useth his neighbor's service without wages, and giveth him not for his work. That's quite a statement. So who are these exploiters? Well, that's a good question. Who do you think they are? Well, I think they're people that, that you pay money to and they promise to do work and they don't. We uh, paid several thousand dollars to a guy recently who uh, put money down on to build a fence for us and he took our money, cashed a check and never returned our call. That's exploiting us. Yeah. I mean, I think whenever... Well, that's just plain out um, that's, cheating, fraud. Yeah, that's, that's, just, that's right out in the open. Yeah, yeah. he's a thief. Yeah. yeah, what I want to do... Give me your money and yeah. goodbye. What I want to do to him, um, I shall not speak on <laughs> this <laughs> spiritual podcast. But you know what? He will eventually, this person, will eventually inherit what he produces. He doesn't need me to seek evil after him. But the world is full of those types of things. Without getting into details, I've seen people uh, recently that I, that I know that, you know, the government has seized all of their assets and because of their questionable business practices. It's random. It seems crazy. I, you know, I just try to do the right thing. And the right thing is becoming increasingly more complex. Yeah. I, I just read in the news last week about five, five guys, five prominent citizens of Utah Valley who were arrested and charged with essentially ripping their neighbors off to the tune of millions of yeah. dollars. I mean, this is, this is right here in, Zion, right, yeah, right yeah. here. To me, the economic crimes that are being done are even uh, maybe greater than we think. Yeah, I call it thieving. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I call it. I'm like that person's went about thieving. They're a thieving, right. thieving, a thieving person. They're yeah. trying to get something for nothing, and uh, people don't know that that catches up with you eventually, whether it's in this life or the next. Right. Now, here's a, here's an interesting question that I've thought quite a bit about as I've read Revelation. If you read Revelation closely, you can see that economic sins are not just one of the causes for the fall of Babylon. Economic sins are actually the dominant reason. Um, there are others, but it's the main reason for the fall of Babylon. So let's be clear. What are we talking about here? What, what do you think are the economic sins that are going br to the, the, the bring down civilizations like Babylon and, and Jerusalem in their day? And so, so, so for me, it's greed. It's just simply greed and envy. People want what they want. I grew up in an environment um, where people would just steal from you. And yeah. if you were in the family, they would steal from you more. Right. <laughs> well, because well, you're not gonna you're not gonna call the cops on me. I'll just steal from you, and yeah. and um, it's just the greed that people have, the envy and the greed, to me drives a lot of wickedness. Because if they can gain money, then they have power. They believe they have power. Right. And whose plan is that? Yeah. That's Satan's plan. They run in this deception that says the more stuff I have, the better I am, and the worse you are. And the better I feel about myself. Well, that runs out eventually. 
when you pass away, you can't be buried. You could, I guess you could be buried with all your stuff, but I don't know what good it does for you. Yeah. You're still dead. Yeah. You know, um, the resurrection will be the resurrection. But for me, it's, it's just it centers around greed and envy. I, I, I just, maybe I'm making it too simple. I don't know. I just hope we're resurrected with clothes on. Because we're not going to be carrying anything else. <laughs> no, no. I think I think there's in the you know, I think there's evidence in the scriptures that we'll have like a white robe. And they, they, so. they won't be cumbersome clothes. They won't be tight. There's, there's plenty to uh, cover up there. Yeah, I have to tell you, I was uh, driving home from work one day, and you know, on Redwood Road, there's a Seven Eleven there. Right, right. And I, I, I saw a little a little man, a fat little man, shirtless just running uh, like crazy from the 7-Eleven. Okay. Oh, wow. Did he, he have was, a bunch of candy he, bars in his hands? No, he was carrying a case of beer. <laughs> oh, <there laughs> So you obviously he had stolen this case of beer. Yeah. And there were there were people running after him, shouting, screaming, come back here, you know, bring that back, mm. you know. And, of course, they, they called the cops. The cops were, and I thought, that's guy, that guy's probably going to jail. Yeah. yeah. And then I thought about the, uh, for stealing what, you know, 10 bucks worth of beer, you know, yeah. and then. But then I thought about the um, the economic crimes on Wall Street back in the in two thousand eight. White collar crimes that when gigantic frauds yeah. were exposed and huge economic crimes and nobody went to jail. Right, it's the white collar crime yeah. that is just really baffles me yeah. on how these people get away with it because their money and influence they get yeah. away with it. An unbelievable crime, <clears throat> um, crime on a cosmic scale. But nobody went to jail. Right. So, I mean, I don't know what you're thinking about. Like, you asked me that question about, and I, I'm saying greed and envy. I don't know. I mean, if you think mm. that's probably well, what yeah. it is or not, I like it. That is the answer. I don't dispute that at all. As a matter yeah. of fact, I would say you are right. Covetousness is the root. It's the root of, of uh, all the evils yeah. that we're looking at. So, okay, now let's get back to the temple. Yes. And that may help. Good. Huh? Once a year, to prepare for the Passover... The priests would clean the temple. They would even whitewash the altar mm. and the sanctuary. And, and then they invited all of Israel right, to, to purify their souls before approaching the temple. Even today, the Jews um, in Jerusalem will clean that western wall every spring as an echo of this um, ancient ceremony. This was, quote, more than just a spring cleaning, says one authority here more than just a spring cleaning rather it symbolized in biblical thought the atonement of the whole earth so cleaning the temple was a symbolic act of purifying the earth mm -hmm. once the temple was cleaned the people could celebrate passover but not before okay so everything had to be purified now when jesus got to town remember mm -hmm. he, he went for the passover Mm -hmm. He was not satisfied at all <laughs> with with the cleansing of the temple. As far as he was concerned, the temple was still filthy. Mm -hmm. So could you read for us a passage uh, in Matthew? Let's, let's read about when he came to the temple in Matthew 21, 12 and 13. Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all of them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables and the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Right. So he 
created a stampede and a riot yeah. in the temple. He was so angry. Yeah, he yeah, uh, he was upset. He was upset. Now, we all know why it was you know because of all this dishonest practices going on, and he was disgusted by that. Right. But there's a much bigger story here. Ooh, can't wait to hear that. In the Jerusalem temple, business and religion came together. Most people don't know this. Okay, the high priesthood belonged to um, guys who bought their way into the office. Right? You, you paid your money, you got your high priesthood. So it was all corrupt. And these business-minded high priests, okay, they were entrepreneurs, right? They um, they turned the temple into a business center, and I'm not kidding about that. This the guys who were selling, you know, doves on the street. That was just a small small tiny symbolic part of what was going on uh, last week i think they turned it into a brothel and a business center from last week's stuff we That's learned. Right. now this this elite group had um, figured out how to monetize the temple mm. a new testament scholar named william r herzog describes in a, his book um, it's called jesus justice in the reign of god great book he says, quote, The temple was at the very heart of the system of economic exploitation of the common people. The hierarchy collected huge amounts of temple taxes, which they then lent out to the poor at predatory rates with their land, that is the, the poor people's land, as security for the loans, right? But then borrowers who couldn't pay because of, you know, or crops or whatever, lost everything to these business-minded priests who converted the temple into a tribute-collecting machine. So they became vastly wealthy, these high priests, at the expense of the poor by, by, by being predatory lenders. It's a lot like, uh, like we've seen in our own country. So what Jesus was protesting against was turning the temple into a machine for, um, for stealing from the poor, which is what they did. Every Jewish man had to pay a, a temple tax every year, and that was a, a half shekel, a half a shekel. From every Israelite adult male, that was a requirement of the law of Moses. So they would take all these shekels, and then they would lend them out, you know, like a bank does. But then, um, unlike a, an honest bank, they were more like the mafia. They would uh, say, okay, uh, you have a loan with us, um, pay. Pay up now or we will take your land. And in many instances, that's what they did. So nothing, in my opinion, brings down the wrath of God like mistreating and cheating poor and vulnerable people. And that's what they were doing mm -hmm. on, on a big scale. Yeah. Now, this is not just a little business. This this is not just a, uh, what do they call it, a payday lender shop yeah. you know, down in uh, down in South Salt Lake. They, this was a big business. Okay. Uh, do you remember the prophet, President Howard W. Hunter? Yeah. He's, he had this to say. He gave a talk about Jesus cleansing the temple, and he said, quote, Never did Jesus show a greater tempest of emotion than in cleansing of the temple. Instantly, he became avenging fury, unquote. It's about the only time we see Jesus get really angry. Why do you think uh, that was so? I think it was, uh, it was all a mockery to 
toward God in heaven, and it was his father. And um, I, I can't help but I read this book called Jerusalem, the Biography, and you get a real sense for the wealth, the absolute wealth that was housed in the temple. Because the Romans killed everybody for that wealth. Yeah. And it was supposedly the richest single place in the entire world because of this kind of behavior, activity. this yeah. activity. And the bank, the bank just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And people's lives kept getting harder and harder and harder. And none of it was being redistributed for the blessing of everyone. And it was the anti-Zion establishment, so I would say. You know, that's what comes to my mind. But That is, that is so well said. That I think you're right on point. Now you see what's happening here. The cleansing of the temple is symbolic of what's going to happen in the last days. Jesus is going to get angry. Yeah. And you don't see him getting angry. Not very often. But he, he purified the temple. He got angry and purified the temple. Just as he will purify the earth right. before he comes again to sanctify it. In the same way, the Lord will cleanse away everything related to Babylon. Uh, would you please read for us Revelation 16, verse 19. The cities of the nations fell. The great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Yeah, Babylon always falls. The original Babel, uh, you remember the Tower of Babel? Uh -huh. um, it, uh, it collapsed, right? In Genesis right. 11, the whole enterprise collapsed. It right. was a big business. Sodom and Gomorrah fell, not just because of sexual immorality, although a lot of that was going on. Mm -hmm. But mostly, according to Ezekiel 16, 49, quote, Now this was the sin of Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and idle. They did not help the poor and the needy, close quote. Now that's interesting. That is. Sodom and Gomorrah did not fall just because um, they were raping people, although that was one big reason, mm -hmm. but also because they were just plain economically oppressive. They, mm -hmm. were, they were oppressing the poor and the, the unfortunate. And they themselves were rich and idle. They didn't do anything. They were not productive people. Mm. Before the actual Babylon fell, in the 6th century, the prophet Jeremiah uh, threw a rock in the water, and he said this, quote, Thus shall Babylon sink, and shall not rise from the evil that I will bring upon her. And that's in Jeremiah 51, 64, and that's why there's a, this interesting verse in Revelation, uh, Revelation 18, verse 21. Would you read that? Sure. A mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. Right, okay, so so you see, John was, he may have been riffing on this, okay? Right. On this famous incident, incident where Jeremiah threw a rock in the water and says, Babylon's going to fall just like that rock does, and it will sink in the water. So John has this great angel appear with a great millstone and throw it into the water and say, it's going to be a big event when Babylon collapses. So the original Babylon fell. By about 275 B.C., it was just a ruin in the desert. And John says to the Babylon of his time, right, of Jerusalem, he says, um, and of every time, right? Because this is, this is a pattern. This is, these are eternal words, quote. 
Thy merchants were the great men of the earth. When Babylon falls, big business shuts down, or big corrupt business, okay? Quote, no craftsman shall be found any more in thee, and the sound of the millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. So corrupt business shuts down. The big party stops. He says, the voice of the harpers and musicians, pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. There won't be any more partying in Vegas. Mm. <laughs> okay. All right. And, and no more weddings. Mm. Quote, the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. And this is in Revelation 18. And so the end of marriages and families means that Babylon has no future. Right? There's no future in that. So, so Babylon itself fell. This is literal Babylon. And then Jerusalem, which John calls the new Babylon, it fell. And then Rome, okay, which he also compares to Babylon, fell too. Okay. By 560 AD, Rome was, it had been a city of millions, biggest city in the world. And by 560, it was just a small town made of overgrown ruins and a few people trying to scratch a living. So do you detect a pattern here? Yes, I do. I see it. So Babylon rises and then it falls. And it does that through sacred history from the time of Cain. One scholar, uh, Dr. Mount, says this quote, Babylon has always been symbolic of opposition to the advance of the kingdom of God. As it fell in times past, so it will be destroyed in the future. Part of the reason for using Babylon as a symbol is that the readers of John will know what God did to the first Babylon and be quick to recognize that he will once again carry out his judgment on the city. Close quote. So what about New York or Las Vegas or, heaven forbid, Salt Lake? Okay. <laughs> or any city. Or Provo. Okay, any city that is totally centered on getting rich the wrong way. Here in Revelation chapter 18, verse 2, it says that Babylon is the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and the cage of every unclean, hateful bird. What does that mean? Well, in ancient Israel, scavenger birds, like vultures, okay, buzzards, they were ritually unclean and they typified demons. Okay, they were symbols of the devils. So clearly the citizens of Babylon are creating their own hell. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, Hugh Nibley said this, um, quote, Babylon is the city dump, close quote. <laughs> I love that. It's really a foul place. It's landscaped by people who turn the earth into a hell. They turn it into a wasteland in, in service of their selfishness. Hmm. I look around at what we're doing to Utah. This is my opinion. Mm -hmm. It makes me uncomfortable when I see all the big, cheap, ugly buildings and the, the billboards and the endless road construction, the urban sprawl. It just feels like so many people just want to make some money by making a mess, and, and then they abandon it without cleaning it up. Have you ever been to Moab? Oh, yeah. I love, I love Moab. A, it's a beautiful place. Yeah, but, I've been mountain um, biking there for a bunch of times. Back in the 1950s, there was a, a businessman who came to Moab, and he... He dug out all the uranium and sold it to the government. Instead of cleaning his mess up, he left it. He left this gigantic mess just north of the city of Moab. It was a huge pit full of garbage and broken machinery. And, of course, he made a, he made a vast fortune. Mm -hmm. okay? 
but he left this gigantic mess behind. Plus, it was radioactive. Oh, geez. So he left a poisonous mess behind and did nothing mm. to clean it up. I mean, he didn't spend a penny on cleaning it up. So who's cleaning it up now? Well, I'm sure we are. Well, and who's paying for it? Citizens, taxes. We, we, yeah. You and I are paying yeah. to clean up that guy's mess. Yeah. But he, he goes off. He goes off and lives you know, on his private island, right? Okay, mm -hmm. so <laughs> anyway. So many people like that. They just want to make some money, make a mess. They don't even try to clean it up. And the rest of us are left holding the bag. It reeks of uh, the love of money above God that we've been talking about in our last few podcasts. Right. This is the great sin. Right. Now you know how much I love the uh, French theologian Jacques Ellul. He mm -hmm. says this, quote, In the book of Revelation, the thorough exploitation the destruction of the natural milieu, the environment, the putting to use of natural resources without restraint and without limit is completely condemned in Revelation as the exploitation of man, unquote. And so what's worse, here's what's worse. The big mess, the desolate landscape that we create, it mirrors the landscape of our spirits. Okay. Mess outside, mess inside. A society that is focused on acquisition, owned by hook or crook, loses itself in a trash heap of broken toys trying to rake out of the ruins something to give meaning to their lives. It's a, it's a, it's a ruined life in a wasteland. And that's, that's me talking. I know it's my opinion, but mm -hmm. anyway. So Babylon may rise, it may fall, and rise again. But eventually, this whole pattern will end. It will be overtaken by, quote, the eternal round of God's justice. And it will fall, and it will fall for good. And in the end, the Lord will, just like he cleansed the temple, he will cleanse the world from all unrighteousness. Uh, that's in Doctrine and Covenant 76. He will cleanse the world of all unrighteousness. And then once the earth is pure, the Lord can come again. And that's what happens in our next episode. Oh, great. I can't wait. <laughs>